Good morning, Bethesda Church. Thank you, Kay, for that wonderful song. And praise team for leading us uh, once again in our online service. And we are grateful that you have tuned in to join us today in our worship. And we do look forward to gathering together. Um, it is so different uh, sitting here in an empty auditorium with just a handful of people. Uh, but we trust that uh, it is a blessing to you. And uh, it would be a greater blessing to be together, of course. Uh, but we look forward to that day. Um, today we're going to continue our series in 1 Peter. Uh, last week we took a little break, deviation, uh, for Mother's Day and talked about six characteristics of mothers that make a difference. And uh, two weeks ago uh, we talked about holy living. Uh, we were looking in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 13 to 25. And just a quick review, we talked about four imperatives uh, to be intentional in our quest for holy living. And those four imperatives, we talked about a fixed hope. We talked about a faithful testimony. We talked about a fear of God and having a fervent love. Uh, fixed hope, setting our minds on the grace of God. Uh, faithful testimony by being holy. Uh, fearing God, uh, reminding us that our body is on loan from God and a fervent love, that we have a genuine love uh, for one another. Today, we're going to pick up in chapter 2, and we're actually going to go back um, in the last few verses of chapter 1 as well, uh, because chapter 2 begins with the word, therefore. And so whenever you see that word, therefore, you have to wonder what it's there for. And it's therefore because he's referring to things that he just shared in chapter 1, and he says, in light of these things I just shared with you, therefore, do this. And so, let's uh, just pick up in chapter 2, verse 1, and then we'll go back a little bit earlier uh, into chapter 1. Today I've entitled the message, Growing Up in Our Salvation. Peter is wanting the believers to grow up in their salvation. That is God's desire for every one of us, that we grow up in our salvation, and to do that, he says, therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation, now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. You know, when I first read this and was studying this, I thought, why is Peter putting this in this letter when he knows his congregation, as it were, is going through suffering? Why would he address things like this, malice, deceit, hypocrisy? That doesn't seem like it fits when people are going through suffering and having a hard time. Well, I think the reason he does that is because he knows that if they get these things out of their lives, they're going to be the people that God wants them to be and the fact that they're going through this suffering, God is going to use this suffering to maybe rid these things out of their lives. And maybe even in the midst of a pandemic that we're going through, um, some form of suffering that we're going through, being separated, not being able to see one another, not being able to see our families and things like that, um, can be very discouraging. Uh, but yet God can use this to rid some things out of our lives that need to be really taken out. And so I think that's why Peter is really addressing this, and I really had to think about that, why 
that was um, in that case. So he offers some surprising instruction in the midst of this. So the question is, how does God want to use this suffering in your life for his purposes? Um, Here, Peter gives us a simple framework for our sanctification. Uh, And when I talk about sanctification, I'm talking about being holy, which really comes down to being set apart from sin and being pure before God. Um, Sanctification, the, the actual root word in the original language, means to be set apart, to be holy. Um, as God is holy, to grow in grace. And so I want to use maybe another word that might help us a little bit more, a phrase, is spiritual formation. When we talk about sanctification, what we're really talking about is spiritual formation, that God is wanting to spiritually form our lives to be like His. And so how does He do that? Well, He tells us in this simple framework to put off evil and to crave the Lord. Put off evil and crave the Lord. Very simple framework. Um, He actually expands this framework and spiritual formation in his second letter. And we won't take the time to read the whole letter, but if you were to look in 2 Peter 1, verse 5, he talks about add to your faith goodness, to goodness knowledge, knowledge self-control, self-control perseverance, perseverance godliness, godliness brotherly kindness, brotherly kindness love. So here is an expansion of the spiritual formation and framework to which Peter is challenging us to live our lives. So he's telling us, in essence, when we experience the Lord, when we crave the Lord, we will put off these malicious practices in our lives and we will grow in holiness and we will develop biblical love by getting rid of these malicious attitudes and actions. So personal growth, here he's talking about, he says, rid yourselves. Here, he's in a personal nature. These are very personal. And I'll tell you, when I read through that list, I was like, I had to look at that again. I'm like, malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, slander. Um, Have I had those in my life? Malice, check. Deceit, check hypocrisy, check, envy, check, slander, check. So really, it's something I think we all deal with in our lives uh, because we have a sin nature. And so Peter is telling us, though, we need to get these things out of our lives if we're going to truly practice biblical love, live holy lives uh, for the Lord. So personal growth, see, will impact corporate growth. Corporate growth will encourage biblical love Biblical love will inspire unity in the body of Christ, and unity will magnify our visible witness to a watching world. And so what better way for us to have a visible witness to a watching world than to get these things out of our lives to crave the Lord? That's the framework that he gives us. You see, our spiritual formation, our theology our theology, what we really believe about God will determine the spiritual formation of our lives. Our theology will impact our understanding of suffering. So we really do need to understand theology to understand why we're going through the suffering we're going through, to understand and make sense out of it. In other words, our doctrine makes a difference in how we respond 
to what happens to us. See, we can't control what happens to us. Um, Somebody once said that 10% of life is what happens to us and 90% of life is how we respond to what happens to us. And really, there's an example of this in the book of Acts. I know I'm taking a little bit of time to lay the groundwork here. But in the book of Acts, uh, Paul and Silas share the gospel in Philippi and Lydia, the seller of purple, is converted to Christ. Well, shortly after that, they're drugged before the magistrates, Paul and Silas, and they are stripped and beaten and thrown into prison. It says their feet are put fast in the stocks. What was their theology now in going through suffering? Well, their theology was, the Bible says about midnight, they were praying and singing praises to God. You can't do that after going through suffering unless you have a very strong theology. And that theology has given you a spiritual formation to your life. That's what God wants to do in our lives. That no matter what comes at us, our lives have been spiritually formed by a theology, a framework that will hold us fast in times of testing and difficulty. You see, their theology impacted their understanding of suffering and their devotion to their doctrine enabled them to lead the jailer and eventually his family to a saving knowledge of Christ. Wow, that's what God wants to do in our lives as well. So, there are three visible changes that will take place as we grow up in our salvation. Three visible changes that will take place as we grow up in our salvation. The first visible change that will take place as we grow up in our salvation is we will, it will impact how we handle relationships. First visible change of growing in salvation will impact how I handle relationships. In other words, salvation changes my mind about people and time. Notice what he says in 1 Peter chapter 1. Let's go back there now in verse 22. And we talked about this some couple weeks ago. Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth, so that you have sincere love for your brothers, love one another deeply from the heart. You see, as we grow up in our salvation, there will be a visible change in how I handle relationships and how I treat people and how I speak to people and how I handle offenses in my life. It says we have a sincere love for our brothers. He gives it the idea that we're a family, and in a family you deal with things that come up in a Christ-honoring way, in a loving way, in a God-honoring way. Salvation changes our mind about people and about time. People and time are temporary. He goes on to tell us, you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. For all men are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord stands forever And this is the word that was preached to you. He shows us the eternality of God's word and the permanence of God's word, but yet the temporariness of our life and the temporariness of time. 
And because God's word is permanent and because it is eternal, it should have an impact in our lives in regard to people and in regard to time, realizing that people, we're only going to be here a short time. We only have a short time to impact people with the gospel. So what we do, we need to redeem the time because the days are evil. Life is brief at its very longest. The power and pleasures of life are short. I think about people that have lived and died and had an incredible impact. I think of Herod the Great, Alexander the Great. They're no longer great. They're dead. They no longer have the influence and the impact that they once had. And it will be the case in our lives as well. So we have to make a difference in how we live. I don't see people as a means to an end. I see people who possess a precious soul are in need of redemption. So we love one another. You know, it's even little simple things that bring irritations into our lives. Even in the body of Christ, we can irritate one another with just little things. I'm reminded of an usher who was speaking to another usher in a church, and he said, we have nothing but good, kind Christians in this church until you try to seat someone else in their pew. <laughs> I thought, how ridiculous, but yet there are some people who get so bent out of shape that somebody's sitting in their seat at church that they lose their Christianity, and sometimes for even less. I'm reminded of a young couple who moved into a neighborhood, and the next morning when they were eating breakfast, the young woman was, saw her neighbor hanging her wash out to dry, and the laundry was not very clean, she said. She doesn't know how to wash correctly. Perhaps she needs better laundry soap. Her husband looked on but remained silent. Every time her neighbor hung her wash to dry, the young woman repeated her observations about her dirty laundry. About one month later, the woman was surprised to see a nice, clean wash on the line and said to her husband, Look, she has learned how to wash correctly. I wonder who taught her this. Her husband said, I got up early this morning and cleaned our windows. <laughs> Sometimes we are looking through dirty glass because of what's in our heart, and we, we, we misjudge people because of stuff we have in our own heart, in our own life, and we misjudge. We need to wash our own windows. You know, it's biblical. It talks about don't judge somebody until you remove the speck in your own eye. How are we going to truly love other people when we have these stuff in our lives? And so we're going to be looking at that, how we get these things out of our lives so we can love properly. That we see fellow believers as people with whom we want to encourage in their walk with Christ. I see people that God has given me a love for and who have a common goal and a compelling vision and a consuming passion to make God known. Uh, the goal of every church, the goal of every body of believers should be to exalt Christ. That should be our goal. The compelling vision that we should have would be to make disciples and our consuming passion should be to love God and love others. That's what God has called us to do. Peter, just like Paul, longed for these scattered believers to grow in grace, but to also grow in their love for one another. 
Paul writes in Galatians 4.19, My dear children, for whom I am again in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. So the first visible change that we will see as we grow in salvation will be our love for one another, how we handle people, how we handle relationships. The second visible change that we will see as we grow in our salvation will be in how we deal with sin, how we deal with sin. Notice Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 2, therefore, in light of the fact that God has told us to obey the truth and have a sincere love for one another, he tells us earlier to be holy, in light of the fact that God has called us to be holy, to love one another deeply from the heart, that we have been born again by the word of God because these things are true. Therefore, rid yourselves of all these things, malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, slander of every kind. So how do we deal with sin in our lives? These sins in particular, how do we deal with them? Well, that is the question that we need to try to answer. And first, we need to kind of look at what it means to rid ourselves of these things. When he says rid these things, he says lay aside, strip off, cleanse yourself of these things that defile you. How often do we need to do this? Daily. We need to rid ourselves of these things daily. Why? Because things come at us every day. Satan shoots his vicious, poisonous arrows at us every day to try to put a seed of malice in my heart, seed of deceit, hypocrisy, all of these things he wants to put into our life. So we've got to rid ourselves of these. And, and just as you have to tend your garden every day to make sure it's weed-free, uh, you need to tend what grows in your heart uh, so that you do not have foreign or unwanted things growing in your heart. If I do not rid myself of these sins... They can poison and infect my relationship with God as well as my relationship with others. Each one of these traits has the potential to destroy the possessor. So we need to get them out of our lives. We need to remember first and foremost that we have been redeemed through the blood of Christ. He tells us back in 1 Peter 1.18 that this redemption paid for our sin and that we are cleansed by the precious blood of Christ. That's justification. That we have been declared righteous, that God has purchased our redemption. He has paid the penalty, the high cost of our sin, these things that we are to cut out of our lives, that Jesus died for them. And because of that, we should have a hatred toward them. God hated them enough that he sent his only son, Jesus, to die for them. We should hate them as well and want them out of our lives because it also will kill and destroy biblical love in our life. It will kill a craving for the Lord in our lives. So these things need to be cut out of our lives all the time. We need to get rid of these attitudes and actions because they will rip at the social fabric of the church and unravel love at its very core. These sinful attitudes are encouraged by a sinful nature, though, 
And that's why we have to constantly come back and put that sin nature to death. Far too often, these sins are tolerated in the community of believers, and they shouldn't be. These five sins of attitude and speech, if harbored, will allow wedges to develop between people and relationships and can sever relationships and destroy lives. Um, These sins are also sins of the tongue as well as of the behavior. So he tells us obeying God's word purifies us. He says in Psalm 119.9, How can a young man keep his way pure? By living according to your word. And he tells us in Romans 13.14, Rather, instead of wearing these clothes, these garments, he's saying get rid of these like old clothes, old garments that don't belong in the Christian's closet, and rather clothe yourselves, Romans 13, 14, with the Lord Jesus Christ. And do not think about how to gratify the desires of the sinful nature. When he says don't think about how to gratify the desires of the sinful nature, he's saying don't give your mental energy, don't give your physical energy, and don't even give your emotional or financial means to how to satisfy the sin nature. Don't do that. He says in Galatians 3.27, For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. We've put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Ephesians 4.24 So we replace these bad habits with good habits. So first one he says is get rid of all malice. Malice is any kind of wickedness or evil. It is hate-based. It comes from often being hurt or injured by someone. The person is characterized by being antagonistic, mean-spirited, and possesses a spiteful attitude. And we see it even in, among uh, kids in school when they bully one another, whether verbally or physically bullying someone is often the motivation behind it is a heart of malice who wants to injure someone because they're hurting, they want somebody else to hurt. Malice is a natural response when someone hurts me or injures me. And yet Paul says in Colossians 3, he says the same thing that Peter says in 1 Peter 2. He says, rid yourselves of all such things. Anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language from your lips. Don't lie to each other. Since you have taken off the old self, that is the old life Prior to Christ, the Bible says if any man be in Christ, he is what? A new creation. The old has gone and the new has come. We are new creatures in Christ that allows us to have biblical love, that allows us to crave the Lord. And the only way that will happen is we cut these things out of our lives, these sinful attitudes and actions. But these sinful attitudes and actions are manifested in every body of believers I read verses in Galatians, I read verses from Ephesians, verses in 1 Peter that all deal with this idea of malice, hatred, anger, deception. Every body of believers, Paul's addressing it, Peter's addressing it, we address it in our day. Why? Because we have a sin nature and we all have to deal with it and put on Christ. Malice can even rear its ugly head from someone who has a superior attitude. I think of Diotrephes in 3 John 9 and 10. He says this, John says, I wrote to the church, to the church, 
But Diotrephes, who loves to be first, will have nothing to do with us. So if I come, I will call attention to what he is doing, gossiping maliciously about us. Not satisfied with that, he refuses to welcome the brothers. He also stops those who want to do so and puts them out of the church. Diotrephes was disrupting the fellowship with his malliced heart. Malice brings separation and division. Peter is telling us to cut that out of our lives. Do not harbor grudges against fellow believers, other people. Don't do that, Peter says. That will kill biblical love. It will kill fellowship. It will kill craving for the Lord. The second thing he says to cut out is all deceit. Deceit is deceptive actions and words. Kids, be honest with your parents when they ask you where you've been, who you've been with, what you've been doing. Uh, be accountable. Don't be deceitful. Don't try to hide your true motives. You hide things on your phone. Uh, spouses hide things from their spouse. That kills biblical love. It kills trust in a relationship. And trust is essential for love to grow. It says in Jeremiah 17, 9, the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? Hebrews 3, 13 tells us we have been hardened by sin's deceitfulness. That deceitfulness, if we allow it to grow in our lives, will harden our heart and our heart will grow cold toward the Word of God and the people of God. By nature, we will deceive and mislead people. But let's look at the example of Christ. In 1 Peter 2.22, a little bit later in the chapter, he says, Jesus, he committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. What an example. No deceit was found in his mouth. Peter encourages us also by quoting a psalm in 1 Peter 3.10. He says, Whoever would love life and see good days must keep his tongue from evil and his lips from deceitful speech. So God help us speak the truth and speak it in love. Thirdly, hypocrisy. Hypocrisy. He tells us that we are to get rid of hypocrisy. Hypocrisy is someone who is not genuine. They're a play actor. They're someone who wears a mask. Now, I'm not talking about a mask to protect us from the virus. <laughs> I'm talking about a mask to cover up who you really are. That you don't want people to know the real you, the real identity, because you have skeletons in your closet. You have things that you know dishonor and displease the Lord. And Peter's saying, don't live that kind of life because you won't practice biblical love. You won't crave the Lord. Peter himself was hypocritical in his own life. That's why I say these sins are in all of our lives, different times. Peter was hypocritical when his fellow Jews showed up in Galatia. And Peter changes his behavior when his fellow Jews show up and how he was treating the Gentiles. It tells us in Galatians 2.13, the other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy so that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. You see, these sins grow. They grow. 
I'm reminded of the story that was told of, of a zoo and was noted for their great collection of different animals. And one day the gorilla died, and to keep up the appearance of a full range of animals, the zookeeper hired a man to wear a gorilla suit and fill in for the dead animal. And it was his first day on the job, and the man didn't know how to act like a gorilla very well. And he tried to move convincingly, and he got too close to the wall of the enclosure, and he tripped and fell into the lion exhibit. And he began to scream, convinced his life was over until the lion spoke to him and said, be quiet, you're going to get us both fired. <laughs> Hypocrisy. Wearing something to make people believe one thing when in reality you are something else. Jesus condemned the Pharisees. In Matthew 23, he said, in the same way on the outside, you appear to people as righteous, but on the inside you are full of hypocrisy and wickedness. And we also saw that in Ananias and Sapphira. The very first sin in the early church was deception, deceit, hypocrisy. When they brought the money from the land that they sold and they pretended to give all that they had and they kept back part of the price, they were struck dead instantly by the Spirit of God because of their hypocrisy what they wanted people to believe about them on the outside, yet who they really were. Well, fourthly is envy that we need to cut out of our lives. And really, this is in the plural, envies, coveting, longing for something that God has not given to me. A person covets what somebody else has, and he wants it even if it has to be taken away from the other person. That's how much they envy it. Um, I think of King Ahab who wanted Naboth's vineyard. And he goes and he whines and, and pouts about it and to his wife Jezebel says, well, we can get that for you and writes, crafts a letter up in his name and ends up having him brought in and falsely accused and stoned and takes his property after he's dead. Why? Because of envy. Envy knows no limit. Envy will even go into criminal behavior to get what it wants. God says, don't let that attitude grow in you or in the church because it will kill biblical love. Put that out of your life. Begin to practice biblical love. Have sincere love for one another and crave the Lord. These will drive these things out of our lives. Proverbs 14.30 says, A heart at peace gives life to the body, but envy rots the bones. Well, the last one is slander. Evil speaking, where we criticize and we judge. We backbite and we gossip. We condemn, we grumble against each other. We talk and tear down another person. We spread tales about other people that cut them and hurt them. We lower their image and their reputation. Um, Peter says, wait a minute. I just told you that we are the family of God and that you are to have sincere love for your brothers, to love one another deeply from the heart. Slander and love don't go together. They don't mix. So Peter's saying, in light of the fact that you've been born again by the word of God, that God has called you to holy living, that God has called you to biblical love. Get rid of slander. Get rid of all these things out of your life. 
Humility and love will protect you from evil speech. We are to be the opposite of prideful and hateful. Let me give you the last one. The third visible change that we will notice when we grow up in our salvation will be how we approach God's Word. You see, God's Word will have a priority in my life. It will be very visible. My kids will see me reading the Word of God. They will hear me talking about the Word of God. They will see me attempting to practice and live out the Word of God. Not perfectly at all. My kids have seen me fail many times, and I've had to apologize to them for different things. Um, But there's a craving for God's Word. There's a craving to honor the Lord. And here's what he says in 1 Peter 2, 2. Like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. So he's telling us like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk. There's a yearning, there's a desire. You don't have to teach babies to love milk. It's in their nature. Those of us who are Christians, Peter is saying, we have a new nature and that new nature craves God. It craves his word. We should have that as believers with that new nature that God has given us where we're putting off the old man, we're putting on the new man. We have this new craving for the word of God. Babies crave their mother's milk. As children of God, we are to crave the Father's word. Not just scripture, but God himself, that we have a thirst to know God, to understand God more. The psalmist said it well, as the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, O God. Psalm 84, 2, my soul yearns, even faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. That's a heart that craves God. That's a heart that craves the word of God. And we know that the psalmist had such a heart for the word of God when you look at the psalms that he wrote. It is a pure milk. It is a sincere, uncontaminated, unmixed word of God that we have. The purpose of this craving and yearning, what is the purpose of that? Is that we will grow up in our salvation that we will reach full maturity, that we will be a visible witness to a watching world, that they see the love and the unity in the body of Christ and they come in and they say, I don't see that outside the church. Maybe you have something different. What is it? And it attracts people to the gospel. Colossians 3.16 says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom and as you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to the Lord. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. That's what will get rid of this malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, slander when you crave the word of God, when you practice biblical love, these things will begin to be eradicated out of our lives. The psalmist said in Psalm 119.11, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. 
And he says, now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. You see, we have tasted that the Lord is good. We have experienced his goodness. We have experienced his kindness. We have received his salvation, the love that he showed us when we were yet sinners, when we were shaking our fist at God. He poured out his grace into our lives. He wants to pour that grace into us so that the spiritual formation of our lives begins to become like Christ. Psalm 119, 103, how sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. We're going to have a closing song. And as the praise team gets ready to lead us and then I want to close us with prayer and then they're going to sing a song, The Lord is my salvation. Maybe you're tuned in today and you recognize very readily one or more of these sins in your life. As a believer, you know you've been bought with the blood of Christ. You know that the blood of Christ washes away sin. You can ask him to forgive you of your sin. You can ask him to renew your craving for the word of God. To replace these things with biblical love. To forgive if somebody has hurt you. To release them. To not hold the grudge against them. Maybe you are listening today and you've never asked Jesus Christ in your life. My friend, you cannot get these things out of your life on your own. It is only through the power of Christ as you clothe yourself with Christ. He wants to come into your life and change you from the inside out. He wants to give you new birth, new life, to be born again by the word of God, to recognize you're a sinner and that Jesus died for you. You can ask him to come into your life right now by faith, through grace. Say, God, I'm a sinner. I need your grace. I need your forgiveness. Come into my life and help me begin to rid these things out of my life. We hope you've enjoyed today's message. If you would like to know more about Bethesda Church, you can check us out on the web by going to our website, which is BethesdaMB.org. That's Bethesda, M as in Mary, B as in boy, dot org. Or check us out on Facebook by searching for Bethesda Church of Huron. Have a blessed day.